You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week to bring you voices and people who don't just speak to the rural context, are spoken as those who get it, as those who have lived, ministered, and worked in small, out-of-the-way places, in unique contexts, and who have a heart and a love for the rural church. I am your host, Joe Epley. And today we get to jump into a uh, very unique situation. A lot of the people that we end up interviewing on this podcast are in some form of pastoral ministry, whether that be bivocational or or even just, you know, straight up volunteer or people who are, you know, paid pastors. But uh, today we have an opportunity to meet a couple who have served as missionary associates long term over their lives and who have a background in farming. So not necessarily any uh, formal pulpit fill at any point in their ministry, and yet they have done so much for the Lord and so much in a variety of contexts. And so the first thing I want to do is introduce you to our uh, farmer missionary friends, Bob and Leanne Bachman. And so, Bob and Leanne, how are you guys doing today? Doing real good. Thank you. Good to be here with you. Yes, it is great to be able to share with you in this way. Awesome. And we're so happy to have you. I know that Dwight Sandoz, the leader of Rural Advancement, speaks very highly of you guys. And uh, as we spoke over the phone, as you and I had the chance to talk, it was really unique getting to hear the stories of uh, what God has done through you guys and what your life has looked like. And so let's just start there. You know, we really love letting people hear the stories of people that we feature on this podcast. And so maybe describe your ministry journey. I know that it actually began, you know, even before you guys stepped into any formal ministry capacity. So tell me about your time spent farming and how that turned into ministry and what you've been able to do. So let's chat about that. Okay. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Northeast North Dakota, north of uh, Grand Forks near the Canadian and Minnesota border. My wife, Leanne, was the daughter of an Assembly God minister in North Dakota. I graduated in Trinity Bible Institute in 1970. And that summer, my wife and I moved to Seattle and attended Kirkland, Washington in 1971. But even during that time, we never did feel a call to full-time ministry. So we returned Mm -hmm. to the farm in the spring. We had two boys and a girl from 1974 to 1985, and we all worked together on the farm, along with my dad and my uncle, and we thought that we'd be farmers for the rest of our lives. That all changed in the fall of 1990. I heard deep in my spirit, it was not an audible voice, but deep in my spirit, the words, why are you working so hard for things that one day will be burnt up? Oh, wow. Yeah, and immediately I knew the verses in 2 Peter 3.10 were talking about all the elements uh, burning up with fervent heat. So obviously that experience took me completely by surprise, and I didn't even know what my proper response should be, what to do with it. So at least twice in the next two, three years, I went into Minnesota, went into a cabin in the winter and once in the summer in another place to, and uh, just to seek God's will, took missionary books, took the Bible, and, and, you know, (laughs) the second time coming back, I didn't really hear anything from God, like what am I supposed to be doing? So I stopped by the local charismatic Lutheran couple and late in their 60s. And of course, at that point, I was in my 40s. And all that oh, sure. Yeah. And their daughter was working with Wycliffe Bible translators. So I talked to him a few minutes and Harold Kemp, Harold said, Bob, why don't you go to Mexico? And I looked at him here. We're up in northern North Dakota. What's in Mexico? But they had taken <laughs> a 
<laughs> missions trip to Monterey, Mexico that previous that summer. And uh, so I contacted the organizer of that trip out of Glenwood, Minnesota, and that Christmas of 1993, my son Ryan and three other or four other young people from our church, the Assembly of God Church in Cavalier, North Dakota, we went out <clears throat> and took that all day, all night, and all day. Finally, got to Monterey, Mexico. And we did mostly evangelism, passing out tracts, had evening meetings. And uh, it was um, a new experience for me. I'd never seen any poverty like that in my whole life. Oh, sure. Just other than Canada. <clears throat> and it was a very, very rainy. The sewer was running down the street and it was smelly. And, and I said to myself with my son standing right next to me, uh, to myself in my thought life, I said, I could never bring my family to live here. Hmm. And within seconds, out of the, should we say the clear blue, he said, Dad, I think I could live here. <laughs> I mean, he just blew me away like, what is this? And literally a few seconds later, the Holy Spirit said, again, not audibly, but the words were exactly, it is not for you to decide where you or your family will live. Wow. And it just really took me by surprise. I mean, maybe the surprise, but just a shock of, you know, as even as parents we need to keep our hands open for the call that the lord may place on all our children whether it be missionary work minister work ministers whatever uh the next summer 1994 my wife and i and our daughter and our son came back with us to uh, go back to monterey mexico another six months later we went back in the spring or in uh, christmas of 94 so we made three trips in one year back to mexico monterey and then we moved to Laredo, Texas in the spring of 1995 to work uh, with an orphanage for three months. We did some construction work, but we <clears throat> remember distinctly driving out of Laredo, the four of us going back to the farm because our oldest son had put the crop in that, that spring of 1995, that this is not the end of this. The Lord has more in store. We didn't know what, but it was almost like he had a hook in our in our heart. Yeah. <laughs> so the next four years, we continued pursuing opportunities and missions. And we finally made the decision that March 15th, 1999, we had our auction sale for our machinery. We accepted wow. a two-year assignment as missionary associates. And that was not an easy decision. Yeah, uh, I believe it. Yep. All my John Deere stuff. Oh, <laughs> man. Stuff. And that's, I mean, I mean that's Deere. a true loss. That's yeah. a true sacrifice yeah, for the <laughs> And I went down to the auctioneer and came back and I thought I worked all my life. I think I was 50 or 51 years old by that time. Do I really want to give this up? So it was not an easy decision. <clears throat> so we served in Latin America for two years, returned home to allow our daughter Donetta to finish her last two years of high school in Cavalier, North Dakota. And then we moved to Springfield in 2006 to work with Convoy of Hope. And we worked on the international team with gardening projects, water purification. And I also had my CDL by then, so I did a lot of truck driving for him. Nice. 2010, we transferred to another Assemblies of God ministry, <clears throat> Sustain Hope, working with sustainable development projects, training people in fuel efficiency, water purification, gardening. We also were the liaisons between Sustain Hope and Global Teen Challenge and had the privilege to work together with the staff and students of the Teen Challenge Centers to start businesses to raise money for their centers, as well as providing valuable experience for the Teen Challenge students to have a viable occupation when they graduate from the GTC Center. And the majority of, did you have something? No. Okay. The majority of time we worked in rural places. And we always respected their knowledge and expertise because coming from a rural area, there are just things that you know because of what you've done, what your parents have done. Sure. And we tried not to ever come in as quote unquote superior since we're Americans. Sure. 
uh, whether it's Latin America or Africa, Siberia, when the people discovered we're all farmers, we're all on common ground. So that's basically the, the journey up till 2018 when we retired from yeah. Compassion. By that time, Sustain Hope had gone into Compassion Link. And uh, <clears throat> so we retired then. I was just about 70 years old, and we thought maybe it's time we slow down a little bit. So. Man, that's a, that's quite a statement. You know, I, uh, I respect, I just want to say first, I respect your journey. If we just stopped actually this podcast after hearing just those stories, there's already lessons there. You know, when you were talking about what a true um, sacrifice it was to say, because farming, farming is not really like a casual business you undertake. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a, I mean, this is a life, you know, these are generations yeah. and all these things. And to say, Hey, I will give this up uh, for the sake of the call of God. That's, that's some powerful stuff. My grandfather started that farm in the 30s, late 30s. Wow. And my dad took it over. And then I was the only son. So that was really hard for my dad and uncle to uh, see that happen. But we knew without a shadow of a doubt. And we still know as we look back that we made the right decision. Mm. It was God's hand, his leading. And even though times was not easy, it's still, you know, your heart that yeah. we tried to be obedient. Yeah. Well, and that's awesome. I, I do <laughs> want to, uh, as we dive into your story, uh, you know, when I was talking on the phone with both of you, um, Bob and Leanne, I know that that you got to highlight different lessons you'd learned, different scriptures that have stuck out to you. So I kind of want to turn our attention to the book of Exodus of all places, right? I know that you guys had a story about uh, the book of Exodus and the story about how it related to being farmers and, and kind of what it has really been in shaping your ministry. So why don't you elaborate on that for us? What what story was it? What did it stand out to you? What did it teach you? Well, as we began to prepare for our services with itineration you know you really think what we're not we're not pastors we're not preachers but sure. god really laid on my heart the story exodus i believe it's chapter two where god was calling moses to lead the children of israel out of egypt and moses argued with god and it was like <laughs> god i can't do this and um and it really actually says you know god just kind of got upset and he said moses what's in your hand and mm. said a rod and that's the very most common tool everyone had a rod. So it wasn't he was picking Moses because he could do something great. It was like, what's in your hand? And God said, give me that rod. And he began to do miracles with it. Hmm. And as I began to ponder that, I thought, you know, we when we began to look at missions and we started filling out applications, at that time, they were quite specific. And they would say, what are your skills? Are you a doctor, a teacher, a carpenter, a plumber, sure. uh, anything like that? And we answered no to every single <laughs> question. <laughs> whoops. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whoops. What are we doing? But what God put in my heart is what we had in our hand was dirt. We were oh, farmers. Wow. That's all we had was dirt. Nothing special. Everyone can have dirt in their hands. But God was like, give this to me. We had no idea at that point that there was going to be developing through Assemblies of God World Missions, the need for sustainability skills mm -hmm. being, we had no idea. It was completely a brand new field opening up. <laughs> but as I began to share this in our services, I just realized that I needed to encourage people that too often we look at what's in our hand and we go, oh, I don't even dirt. That's really, that's nothing. And so we cast it aside because we think, well, somebody else is doing so much better than we are. They've got way better skills. But God just really put on my heart to share with people that no matter what our skill is, no matter how big, no matter how little, no matter how unusual, you know, God's the one that develops all of that in us. 
And when we refuse to give it to him, we're being robbed of a blessing. So really shared that, you know, I we said, okay, God, all we've got is dirt, had no idea the doors God would open for us. And I really think that that was something that could encourage people and help us realize we weren't anybody special. We were just yeah. dirt farmers. <laughs> but yeah. I gave us the opportunity to take those skills. And obviously, I will share, at the heart of all missions is to reach people with the gospel. You know, that's very important. But if we don't go in and address when they are hungry, when they are thirsty, when they don't know how to, how can we grow a crop? If we overlook that and say, I've just come to share Jesus, they really don't want to hear it. But when it's we true. get our fingers dirty and work with them, they're ready to receive what we have. And so it's always about the gospel. I don't want to ever negate that. <clears throat> this is just the practicality of doing what's in our hands. Yeah. Well, and honestly, thank you for sharing that. I think that's such a powerful truth to have God call you, to, you know, and I think it speaks a lot because obviously, you know, you guys, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you come out of Bible college at the probably in your early twenties and you retire at the age of 70. And it's not that you spent that whole time in, in any form of vocational ministry or even as a missionary, but God refused to waste your background. It wasn't like you took 15, 20 years and it just didn't matter. You know, it was like, God was saying, Hey, your time as a farmer was integrally valuable to the kingdom yes. of God and to how your lives worked and what you were able to do. And that's, that's a powerful statement about how, about how God moves. Huh? Amen. So, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, let's look at this. You have traveled, you have had the privilege to travel to several mm -hmm. countries, several contexts, several different places throughout your ministry career. And, and I know you already touched on this a little bit, Bob, but maybe go a little more in depth. What really has the Lord taught you each time you come to a new place? How have you seen that play out? Well, we both have, Leon and I have a few different thoughts on that. Psalms 33, 14, and 15 declares, God looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. And we have been in Africa and Asia and Latin America and Siberia, and we have found every single place as we meet with these people that there was a sincere hunger for God, also the desire to provide better for their families. And, of course, in a rural setting, we worked with many, many agriculturals, if you want to say, or farmers, sure. and to better themselves spiritually, health-wise, economically. And then Leanne has some thoughts on that, too. Well, you know, similarly, like what we talked about, I mean, we both were just kind of working on our, our thoughts here. But one of the things that we really learned working in Compassion Ministries in in missions, and I mean, this was just many, many different um, times where we would study. One of the books that was very important was When Helping Hurts. Very mm. interesting concept, okay? Because I've when read we the book. It's a very good book. It is, you know, and it really brings out some things because, you know, like Bob said, you realize that the needs are the same. So sometimes we think, well, goodness, I know I can come in and tell them exactly what they need. We think we know the need before we even get there. And that's really pushing things ahead. Instead, it's got to be, we've got to step back and we've got to say, now, what do you really need? You know, yeah. maybe we say, well, you need food. Well, what they really might need is some fertile ground to grow it in. And so we've got to, we've realized that we've got to step back and we've got to communicate with them. We can't come in, like Bob already alluded, we can't come <clears> in. <throat> we know it all. We know exactly what you need. We have to step back and say, okay, what do we need? And so whether it's internationally or in a rural town, you know, many times the limitations are similar. They're lacking finances, they're lacking product, they're lacking resource. And so we sure. think we come in 
And the other thing that we really, really learned is that we needed to solve it within the community. You know, we talked about that a lot, how we, you know, you you did that too. You couldn't, we, we can't come with all the equipment in our suitcase because when we leave, they're not going to have that equipment. They can't replace right. it. But we got to solve it. So we actually became, quote, dumpster divers looking for things to solve. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, they need to replicate everything that we teach in their country. Yeah. Uh, one time we had literally go into the dumpster, find cardboard to make solar cookers. Yeah. We didn't bring anything with us except the pattern, of course. Right. And sure. that happened more than Kino Faso, other places where it was not available. Yeah. Um, so again, if they can't replicate when we leave, then we're not really helping them. Wow. And that's a huge rural principle because it's like you said, I mean, many are the stories of people who started out really well-intentioned who came in with great resource at their disposal, who who got to bring in expert ideas. And uh, and yet so quickly after that individual leaves, you just see the the same up and down, the same back and forth of, well, that was great for a season, but it was not sustainable. That's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that part of your work with Teen Challenge, kind of diving more into the sustainability, uh, involved trying to create sustainable means of income. Even in the U.S., of course, rural places face a lot of those same struggles, like you mentioned, of having systemic poverty and and not being able to necessarily always find the resources they need. So can you give us some examples of how you were able to bring value to these uh, kind of small places and small contexts and what you did to help them kind of dream bigger? Let's let's chat about that for a second. Sure. Uh, we developed some curriculum over a period of probably almost a year as we worked with the Teen Sound Centers. And the first thing we taught them, because many of these, I'm going to call them students, came in off the streets. They've never really had a a job. We taught them the biblical theology of work and sustainability, from this, obviously from the scriptures. Uh, We also showed them the benefits of sustainable projects, such as a work ethic, being there on time, raising funds, accountability, management, learn a skill that can provide for you later when you graduate from the Teen Challenge. We provided about 80 or 85 examples from around the world from the other Teen Challenge centers that were used to raise funds or teach them a skill. And oh, most wow. of them we did ourselves. We took pictures. We had, you know, will this work for you? Well, this may not work for you, but maybe this will work for you. So a lot of different examples from many different countries. We also provided business formats for them to actually do business plans to make sure oh, wow. that you can, will this work? We're in, in Siberia where they had tried 10 different projects over a period of Two or three years and nine of them failed because they did not have the, you know, the business plan yep. to see if this is mm. the assessment. So, and then other times we did research before we came in even into the country. And are there universities or colleges or their businesses or something that could provide them training, grants, funds in Jamaica? There was the Bee Association that provided the Teen Challenge there, 45 beehives free of charge, provided the training and the things like that, that we tried to just help them to know what's what's in your country, what resources they have. Right. Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about that, I mean, again, we almost sound repetitive, but this is what we really feel strongly about, whether it's internationally or a rural community. What do you have? You know, mm-hmm. like we said we had to teach here. We had to teach them that work was not a punishment, that we actually. Yeah. All <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great <laughs> lesson. First of all, you know. <laughs> There's some days I needed to remind of that lesson. You know, we all do. But, uh, <laughs> and you would be surprised sometimes the look on their face when we say that work isn't a punishment. That's how we live and be like, oh, really? And sadly, yeah. it probably needs to be taught now, too. But 
But, you know, as they would realize that, uh, again, it gets back to what do you have and, and you know, what what's there. And one thing could trigger a thought. And a lot of times they don't realize how valuable things they do have in front of them. You know, they, yeah, just, they can't see it common. in a sense. That's right. It's such a common thing. So that's where the examples Bob talked about. <clears throat> it was just fun to see them. They go, oh, wow, this country is doing this. Well, I bet if we did it like that here, it would work for us. So it's bringing value. But the other thing is when we would do that, then we would actually stop. And I think sometimes we need to do this. We would say, you know, if I didn't have to worry about finances, if I didn't have to worry about anything, what would my ultimate dream be? Hmm. And it's very interesting because you, they came up with some phenomenal dreams. But I want to back up. Sometimes we only look at that and then we're discouraged sure, when it doesn't sure. happen. Sure. But if we build the foundation of what they have and then give them the opportunity to dream, they will put mm. the two together. And I'll never forget, we were in a ladies' center in Cambodia. <clears throat> Very first time we'd ever done a ladies' center. And now you've got to realize many of the ladies internationally were never given the opportunity to dream. Sure, they absolutely, were, yeah. yeah. They they never were ever, I mean, some of them looked at me like, well, I don't know what I want. You know, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, they can't even ask the question in a sense. That's right. It was like, I've never given that a thought. And I literally would go around. Everyone had to answer because I didn't want, I really wanted even the shy ones to think about it. But what so was just really blessed us was one gal, she'd been sitting there quietly and she said, well, rice, when the rice harvest comes in, I want to be able to buy it and I want to store it so that in the spring or later on in the next season, I can sell it and I can begin to develop a business. And it was just like, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. It was huge, but this, she took what was right in front of her. I've got rice here. This is what we grow. This is our staple. So that's, again, bringing back to the value of what they had and then realizing I could build upon that value. So I think it's, I guess, to sum it, like you said, all the teaching we did, we spent a lot of time on that before we did the dream big, because then it's like, oh, there's actually a possibility of producing something with those dreams instead of it being a pipe dream. One other thing that just occurred to me that we did provide some examples of projects that did not work. Yeah, because, oh, sure. yeah, because this wasn't appropriate in their country or they didn't have the market. Mm-hmm. You have the market, you have the you know the people to fill it, you have the expertise. Yeah. Uh so that's we we had most of them were positive, but some were negative to show this probably won't work in your country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, uh a lot of our listeners on this podcast are rural pastors or rural leaders, and uh, and these these skills are incredibly transferable. I think of you know if I'm a pastor who came into a small town, I have to take a lot of those same steps. I got to look around and say, hey, uh, mm-hmm. let's work on discipleship. Let's let's get ourselves these skills of what it looks like to follow Jesus, to to take what's in our hands, to use it well, and then right. imagine the freedom that comes from even a rural congregation who's been told that they're just trouble or overlooked their whole you know their whole life and history and for a pastor to say what if we dreamed big what if we took the next step i mean that's how the gospel could bring transformation even just to just to Mm -hmm. rural churches and rural communities so that's uh that's an incredibly powerful i mean you know that you guys have gotten to experience and then share with us i mean that's thank you so much you know that's that's great so so the last question i want to ask you uh because you guys have you know i mean again you take early 20s you're now in your early 70s and uh, or at least Bob is. I'm not going to make any assumptions, Leanne. You know, but uh, she's but, on 37. Uh, yeah, 37. We'll take 37. That sounds about right. Um, but looking back, yeah, we're, we're looking back at uh, 
at about 50 years, you know, combined as farmers and then working in ministry. And obviously, you know, that whole time as farmers, you're plugged into a local church and part of the life of that church. And so um, because of just the sheer volume of years that you've lived, I love this question. I'm only 30 years old. And, uh, and I could use some wisdom. And so would you take a second, like, what are some of the, the big picture things the Lord has really taught you over the last 50 years of living, you know, and maybe it's just a deeper take on something you've already shared. Maybe it's something totally new, but I just want to leave that floor open. Share with us some, uh, some wisdom. Well, I think one word that comes up almost immediately is flexibility. Whenever you do missionary work or pastoring a church, sometimes you end up doing things that you didn't expect to do, or you go on an assignment that they send you over to this country and, you know, something that just turned out different, totally. So like we always used to say, if you're not flexible, you might break. And yeah, so that's, that's, that's true. Uh, flexible. Actually, yeah. that's that's another beatitude. Yeah. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> another one. You're right. I We yeah. must have lost it. It was somewhere in those Gospels <laughs> we never got to see. <laughs> <laughs> then another thing we found is that the vast majority of missionaries are pretty strong-minded or they wouldn't be out there in the first place. And sure. the pastors, too. It's a very, very difficult profession, if you want to call it that, that God has called them to. And so a lot of times we want our own way or my own way, but we really need God's grace to help us work together, forgive quickly, go on. We're all, we're all doing the same purpose for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. trying to bring glory to him and win people to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And just to be, you know, the grace of God on our lives. And another thing we found, <clears throat> it's, it's really important to persevere. Persevere. There's a couple of times because of our daughter was so lonely when we first went to Latin America. She was not rebellious, just lonely. And I wasn't very far away from saying, you know what? I think we should go back home because it's just hard to see her this way. Absolutely. God provided in both circumstances within a day or two an answer. One was another young gal that came. In fact, she was a 21-year-old gal that came and befriended her. And God just provided that. So I just say, you know, persevering. Are you called or not? Maybe that's a great question. And then God always did supply our needs. Philippians 419, you know, God supplying our needs. He always did. He always will. And we just thank God for that. And then another thing, in Philippians 2, 3, it says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each better better than themselves. And we really don't need the applause of men or to be the center of attention to be affirmed. His favor is always enough. Mm -hmm. And I think Leanne has a few thoughts on this too. Just to kind of cap up on what he was saying, you know, when we really know we are doing what we're doing, I mean, really, our, our job was not very glamorous most of the time, you know, sure. it was, yeah. you know, digging in the dirt. And it was, you know, like we said, trying to figure out the very basic, basic needs. But, you know, because there was such a satisfaction, we didn't have to come back and be able to say, well, we did this and we did that. We could just, um, you know, so not not needing to evaluate, to make our own self raised up, you know, so that's one thing. But I think for me, probably the thing I learned the greatest is I've always had a heart for missionaries. My I have an aunt and uncle that was missionaries, and I always knew we need to pray for our missionaries and all of this. Sure. But all of a sudden, when we're on the other side, I realized how much we depended on that prayer. Oh, wow. It was just vital because, you know, as missionaries, we're out there raising our, our financial support, but we forget we're raising our prayer support. And probably I just realized that more than ever that I had to say, okay, God, we're facing a new, a new situation. Maybe I don't know what to do, or maybe I'm just playing exhausted or feeling inadequate. Now there were many times I said, God, you got to put somebody on, put, put us on somebody's heart. 
we need prayer right now. And um, and a couple of times, I mean, one time in Russia, we had taken a 19-hour road trip. We had to, <laughs> yeah, change drivers in the middle of it. It's even and longer than Montana drives. I mean, that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm <laughs> and even the second driver actually did fall asleep when he was driving and we felt the car go off the road and Bob hit him and woke him up. And I mean, when we finally got to the de- destination and even in Siberia, we could receive texts and I hear on my phone is the text saying, I'm praying for you. And I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. like, thank you, God. So I think, you know, the one thing I re- realized, no matter what we're called to do, God's never called us to do it alone. We're not to be the mm-hmm. lone ranger. We're not to be the the soul equipper, because when we get that in our mind, we're kind of treading on thin ice. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was realizing, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm called, God's given me a responsibility to go, but it's not just me, that prayer support is vital. And then really to help our prayer support realize how much we did value that, you know, so that was something that I, I really learned. We were the vessel God was working through, but we sure mm-hmm. were not the, the stars of the show. <laughs> so Absolutely. that prayer support was vital. I always think it's great because because I would I would argue that nothing you shared is uh, is like you know breaking this crazy new ground and yet to have the experience of your lives behind some of these statements brings a lot of gravity to what you're saying and so I do just want to say uh, you know one more time thank you guys for this conversation this has just been really delightful and like I know I'll be chewing on that wisdom because uh, I'm looking ahead at hopefully a long long time of serving God and and following His call and I know our listeners are doing the same and so those statements about perseverance about not doing it alone about depending on prayer those are all really valuable and so uh so yeah i just want to say thanks i appreciate you guys <laughs> well thank you for allowing us to share with you yeah joseph yeah well, it's very yeah. good we we glad and like you said nothing's earth shattering but it's just learning to step in where god opens the door Absolutely. Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, we thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Again, it is our goal every single week that if you're a rural pastor or leader who tunes in, that you're going to find wisdom, not just wisdom spoken to what you're going through, but wisdom from people who get it. And so uh, we look forward to seeing you um, on some of our other episodes. Uh, You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or at our website, www.ruraladvancement.com. But true to small town form, uh, the odds of this spreading is most likely when we just think of the good old fashioned uh, word of mouth. And so if you know of a pastor or a leader who might benefit from some of these conversations, pass it along. And so for now, I have been uh, your host, Joe Epley. It's been a delight to talk to farmers and longtime missionary associates, Bob and Leanne Bachman. And uh, for now, we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.